0: Cassandra and I st- and are starting... Ugh, excuse me. Let's start all over again. Boop, doop, Hi. Boop, doop, doop, doop. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, everyone. My name is Jason. I'm Laura. And welcome to Come Back a Star, a movie award gang takeover.
1: Dang right. And also, shout out to my sis. Happy birthday, sis. Happy
0: birthday, Cassandra, my wife. Yeah. You are awesome.
1: Good job living.
0: Yeah, she did a good job.
1: She did a good job
0: she she got through the the worst year hopefully of our lives 2020 hopefully, hopefully, yeah um, we're yeah she she's still trucking along
1: it's she great. is trucking along like a little soldier but um you know she did fall in deep with a bad crowd, uh, you know, trying to rise to the Pyramid of Power in in Chicago. And, uh, you know, it was...
0: She she ran afoul of the law.
1: Ran afoul of the law, see? And she started talking like this, see? And we never got her back, see?
0: (laughs) I kid. Everyone, we are watching every Best Picture winner and nominee from 1927 onwards, and this episode is number 024, Little Caesar, a movie that was... Not a nominee or a winner for the Academy Award, but, but we're going to cover it anyway. It
1: should have been. This is our year of should have been. So we did Public Enemy with Jimmy Cagney uh, last time, which also was not nominated. And now we're going on the same theme of gangsters rising to power and then falling away from power.
0: Yeah, it's going to be a tough one to judge, I think, because they're they're both. Well, here, here. Spoiler alert: We decided to do this movie because it's a good movie.
1: Yes, it's uh, a very good movie,
0: and uh, much like Public Enemy. And I think it's going to be a little bit difficult to grade them because they are both gangster movies that were really good from the same era. So I'm
1: going to call it now after watching them both because I'd seen them both before, but it had been several years. I actually think I will give the edge slightly to Little Caesar. Mm-hmm. I actually I do think it was a little bit better. I mean, they were both very good and both uh, Edward G. Robinson and Jimmy Cagney are fantastic in their roles. But I think this one had just a little more zip or something. The
0: pacing was a little bit better. Yes. Is yes what I the thought. pacing
1: is is better. Um, I don't think it's perfect. There are a few things I'm, I'm going to go over where I think they could have fleshed out the characters a little bit more. But overall, I think it's definitely one of the most exciting movies we've seen so far.
0: Oh yeah, like it has it has a good way of leaving you wanting more for Absolutely. sure. So at every turn. And then it just keeps pushing you along, pushing you along. Whereas I think uh there there are a couple of points when public enemy kind of like slowed down. It slowed a little down bit. a little
1: bit, yeah. You don't really get that here.
0: No. No, it doesn't let you rest for a minute, that's Mm-mm. for sure.
1: No. So yeah, you want to jump right in?
0: Yeah, let's get right in. Let's uh well let's cover for uh the newcomers what we do in this podcast is we review the plot and give our little insights as we go through it, and then at the end of discussing the movie, what we do is that we start rating the movie on different categories like acting, writing, cinematography, and then we give the movie some chances for for bonus rounds on things like uh, like sets and and how bold we think it is. A lot of subjective stuff like that, right? And uh, enough of all that. Let's. Go start talking about the plot of Little Caesar. Bang, bang. Pizza, pizza.
1: <laughs> I was waiting for it.
0: Yeah, it's it wasn't at all running through my head the entire time while no, we were watching it. Just, not at all. <laughs> just occasionally, whenever anyone would computer on screen, pizza, pizza. Yeah,
1: it definitely. No, no
0: one no one introduces themselves that that way, though. It's kind of
1: disappointing. Like, where did they get the tagline later on? Then I mean,
0: that's true. Right. I wonder if Little Caesar's Pizza did. Uh, does uh, acknowledge this film as an inspiration they better for their for their title
1: i mean at the end of the day i think it's just important to say you will want pizza after this movie
0: yeah yeah it's a uh, it's good for a nice nice uh hot and carry out uh pizza yeah so starting the movie for sure this time <laughs> <laughs> criminal partners caesar and rico rico bandello played by edward g robinson and Joe Massara, played by Douglas Fairbanks Jr., stick up a gas station and buy themselves a meal at a diner. Both men are itching to move up in the world, but in very different ways. While Joe wants to quit being a criminal altogether and become a dancer, Caesar dreams of getting in deeper and becoming an underboss. Um, In the underworld, excuse me, an underlord boss.
1: Yeah, there's a lot of under terminology in, yeah, in this, yeah. in this uh, environment and i do just gotta love that like i don't want to do crime; i want to dance, dance. <laughs> it's very delightful it's so there are a few moments in this where it's like almost becomes so cliche that you kind of laugh when you hear it but i'm sure it was very impactful at the time but yeah this criminal he wants to dance by gum
0: yeah and he, he gets a little bit of guff for that from caesar
1: Oh, gosh. Yeah.
0: Yeah. A little bit of like, ah, you're going to be a sissy dancing around and hanging out with dames. And it's like, mm-hmm.
1: I think Little Caesar might suffer the character from a bit of toxic masculinity.
0: Just, just a little Just a to touch. Just, just a little bit. And perhaps jealousy. I mean,
1: let's, you can't see me, fig- uh, audience, but I'm wiggling my eyebrows suggestively.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, Little Caesar, you know, he he talks a big game and then he goes back to his apartment at night and sobs a little bit about how he can't be a dancer.
1: I mean, you know, and losing his best pal Joe to to the to all the the dames, (laughs) to all the dames.
0: (laughs) Oh, gosh. Yeah.
1: Dames stealing his beautiful sweet Joe.
0: And what does he get off telling telling a dancer that he's sissy? I mean, dancers are the strongest, most agile Seriously, people you that gotta, you know. You gotta know, gotta be
1: coordinated, which you know rules me out right away. So basically, dancers are like gods to me. Jeez.
0: Oh yeah, I'm sure they could outrun me. Oh yeah, easily
1: and out kick, out punch, out everything.
0: Special special shout out to uh, the dancers listening.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're trying to get that bank in on though that dancer uh, dancer audience.
0: Okay, so um, Caesar dreams of becoming a Underlord boss, which I guess is the terminology. I apologize in advance for maybe stumbling over some of this uh, underworld ter- terminology. You can't take
1: the heat, see? God, yeah,
0: I can do the voice.
1: <laughs> you can do the voice. You can ditch it out, but you can't take it, see?
0: Oh, gosh, that's an, ac- an actual line. Good oh, he's, that's his
1: catchphrase, Yeah.
0: OK, so uh, he wants to be an underlord boss like the infamous gangster Peter, quote, Diamond Montana.
1: Yeah, he's all like getting bitter when they're sitting in that diner. He's reading a big article about uh, uh, Diamond Montana having big dinners in his honor and go to Gala vets. He's like, I can do that if I want it. I'm going to do that by gum.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's um, he's a go getter. He's driven. That's the important part. That's true.
1: You know, he's going to get what he wants.
0: And what he wants is to break into the big, the big time,
1: the big time by breaking into other places, By
0: breaking into other places, no longer just walking into gas stations, (laughs) shooting a person and just walking back out.
1: Yeah, he does not show any hesitation throughout this whole movie of just shooting people. They
0: they establish that right off the bat. The very first scene, it's them driving up, going to a gas station, just flat out walking up, shooting this person and running out with the money.
1: Yeah, I mean. It seems like a lot less fuss, probably, than just negotiating for the money. It. But it's a lot also probably would cause more complications later on. But it's a murder rap is a lot worse than a, you know, petty criminal rap.
0: He, he, he much like the Joker, Rico likes the simple things.
1: He does oh like my dynamite. <laughs> he would make a great Batman villain.
0: Oh gosh, he really. I see as G Robinson as the Joker,
1: <gasps> I see him more as the Penguin. Yeah, yeah. I oh mean, yeah, he's kind of. I can see
0: that work too, but he's not refined enough for the Penguin. It's
1: true. It's true. Interesting.
0: Uh, we'll we'll have to have this debate. Off the air of over. We'll
1: have a whole. <laughs> over what
0: Batman villain should Edward G. Robinson play.
1: We'll have once we get like, I think the 30s done with. We'll have a whole coterie of actors we can assign different Batman characters. A whole coterie
0: to, of deceased actors. Of deceased to
1: actors to play Batman characters. I'm down for it.
0: Hey, with the way CGI is going, we might be able to do that someday. Deep
1: fake it. Deep fake it. No, don't. It's scary. <laughs>
0: Okay, so both of these goons get their breaks when they move to Chicago.
1: Once again, we got Chicago. That was the city of the 30s, apparently.
0: Oh, yeah. At least for gangster movies. At least for gangster movies. Joe dances at the Palermo Dance Club as the partner of Olga Stasov, played by the very un-Russian actor Glenda Farrell.
1: That's so weird to me that they gave her such a Russian name and she's not even vaguely Russian. (laughs)
0: I mean, do they just associate dancing with Russians?
1: I think so. And maybe uh, this is based on a novel by W.M. Burnett, I think is his name. Um, And maybe her character was Russian, but Hollywood got lazy. I mean, Glenda Farrell does a fine job, but yeah, not 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 Russian.
0: No, no, she's not very
1: transatlantic.
0: Yeah, there we go. Yeah, Yeah, that's. That's it. You know, there's no reason why a Russian couldn't have a transatlantic I mean, that's uh, true.
1: She could be a child of immigrants. You don't know. Don't judge, audience. Don't judge me.
0: They quickly fall in love with each other is the thing. Oh, yeah. And although Olga is distressed to find a gun in uh, in Joe's pocket, she sticks by him and uh, I guess kind of silently excuses what is obviously a criminal side. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think she kind of falls into that trap, which. It's correct in this movie because Joe is this kind of guy of like, oh, he's a good guy, but he's been led astray by bad companions, which is Joe's exact situation throughout this movie. Right. But probably a dangerous attitude to have. In general. In general.
0: Yeah. In general, you can't change people. And also if they carry around a gun and look like they're part of criminal enterprise, it's probably not just a matter of them having bad friends.
1: Sometimes you can judge a book by the gun in its pocket.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, meanwhile, in Chicago, Rico has become an enforcer for gangster Sam Vittori and uh, and his gang, and quickly gains a reputation for being quick on the trigger. Because he,
1: as we've established, he super is.
0: Yeah he he does not hold back in terms of being very obvious. About his willingness to shoot somebody.
1: And but, you know, he is also shown to be also very intelligent and very thorough in his research of the outfits they're going to rob. So I assume that's why he rises up so quickly in the ranks, because otherwise it's like, why would any of them want this, like, trigger happy maniac in their in their group?
0: Yeah, he is. um I guess his insight, he's an animal cunning. It's not like a brilliance, but it's kind of and a lot of the acting and the way he's portrayed, too, is kind of animalistic. Right. He just has this very like quick thinking. All right. Now, this situation obviously just demands that somebody die. I'm just going to make it happen. And now it's over and there's nothing you can do about it.
1: Yeah. I mean, those are, that's like word for word, like the kind of stuff he says, like after he shoots someone he shouldn't have shot. But, uh, yeah, Rico, uh, pressures Joe into helping them into the Palmero to pull off a heist on New Year's Eve. Rico ends up shooting and killing the city's crime commissioner, which Sam warns him will bring determined police sergeant Flaherty, played by Thomas Jackson down on them. And once again, uh, Rico kind of just dismisses that as like well he was in the way I need to get away now we just got to deal with it I don't care
0: yeah yeah he just totally com- completely dismisses all of these concerns and you know calls Vittori yellow
1: yeah he automatically just I think kind of reads Vittori as like kind of uh full of like kind of smoke and mirrors like he's there's nothing really to him <laughs> yeah and, and he's you- basically the de facto leader of the group now.
0: Yeah, Vittori is kind of useless. He gets exposed by by uh, Rico because he doesn't is not crucial to the planning of the operation. Mm-hmm. He's not present for the operation. It's just that like, hey, I'm in charge and that's pretty much been his role yeah. of like claiming that he's in charge and that he has all the ideas. But in this case, uh one of the gangsters, Scabby
1: Scabby. I love Scab, Scabby. Scabby has
0: the idea and Rico provides all of the details and really Vittori did nothing.
1: He like, do we ever see him not sitting behind his desk? Because that is literally all he does.
0: Yeah, it's rare that he's not behind his desk. That's true. Yeah. I didn't think of that.
1: Um, Rico is more concerned with the panicky behavior of their driver, Tony Passa, during the getaway. When he learns that Tony crashing the car and fleeing is what tips off Flaherty, Rico sends henchman Otero, played by Georgie Stone, to feel him out. Um, And after a night of repenting with his mother, Tony has decided to seek out the priest from his youth. And it's a very touching scene, I think, Mm -hmm. when he's with his mother. Um, You know, it's a very... um, You know, typical scene of, you know, that we kind of saw in Public Enemy of the kind of the dowdy looking mom coming in, reminiscing about his childhood. But the actors, I think, both really sell it.
0: Yeah, they do. And you really
1: get and You really hope that Tony, who we've really just met, can get out of this lifestyle and situation. Yeah, you
0: you get the idea that he he was the driver of the getaway car. Yeah. And he was he planned on being the driver for a getaway car from a robbery, not Not a murder. murder.
1: But Rico sure gums that up. And, uh, yeah, so he, as he's walking to the church, uh, Otera comes up to him saying, Hey, you got to come get your cut of the profits. And uh, he's like, I don't want it. And Otera's like, dude, if you don't come get it, people are going to start thinking that you're yellow. And, and he's like, I don't care. I'm going to go see my priest. And Otero assumes he's going to confess. At least I think that's the implication. Yeah, that's the implication yeah. for sure. And uh, so he um, gets to run away really panicky uh, to uh, Rico. Yeah, Otero and- does. Otero does and gives him the news that uh, Tony has apparently turned into a little churchy stool pigeon. Um And so very, very casually, Rico's like, well, let's take care of this. And they get in their car, speed off to the church. And right as Tony is uh, going up the steps, guns him down. Yep. Pretty heartless.
0: Yeah, right. Right on the church steps.
1: Mm hmm. So symbolic.
0: So if you liked Rico before, now you're not so sure.
1: It's a pretty brave step of the movie to just make him so blatantly evil. evil. I mean, uh, Jimmy Cagney's character in Public Enemy, he doesn't have a lot of sympathetic moments, but even then you don't get the sense that he's an out-and-out out, that, regardless of human life as Rico is here.
0: The other attribute about Rico that I'm just realizing right now is that he does have like a childishness to him. Mm-hmm. Well, again, like I said, he's a simple man. He likes simple things.
1: He's like a very like emotionally stunted guy. He's probably like got the emotional capacity of like a six year old. So he gets very excited by shallow things. He wants to be rich and have a lot of rich, fancy things.
0: Right. And the reason what brought that to mind is that uh, clearly he is evil. But at the same time, you're always you're not sitting there thinking, oh, he is so evil, like a conniving sort of no, it person. Not it's like, he's just twirling. a monster.
1: No. Yeah. He's just straight up. He just follows his impulses. And it seems like his impulses are mostly quite violent and animalistic.
0: Yep. 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 Yep.
1: So poor Tony is dead, but the whole gang, I think everybody, but Rico feels bad about this. Cause I think, you know, it was kind of a close knit group. And right. so they're like, probably wouldn't have shot Tony. But Rico has taken charge, so they throw him a big old funeral procession uh, down the road, and it turns out that uh, Rico gets the biggest wreath for the funeral procession. As I does, does he feel a little bit bad, or is it just an extra fu? Like, they'll ha,
0: ha, never know. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think it's I think it's just a show off thing that you know. It's kind of like uh, going all the way back to the racket where we saw. Uh, Scarcy show up to his rival's um
1: that's right that's right
0: and it's not just him it's his whole gang and even though he was the one who murdered him he's still gonna do this whole thing about grandiosely showing up to this man's funeral that he murdered i think it's it's kind of yeah
1: shutting up the parade outside out of respect just yeah big show a big old show of humility oh yeah But uh, Rico's ruthlessness and cunning move him up to a minor boss status. At a celebratory dinner, his gang presents him with a gold and platinum watch. Rico is thrilled when the newspaper wants to take a photo and poses with his men, save for underworld overlord, so under and over there, Big Boy, who chides him for showing off on camera. Flaherty arrives just to unnerve Rico and casually mentions that a jewelry store was robbed and a platinum and gold watch stolen. He leaves and Rico looks at his silent crew and realizes they were they stole the watch they gave him. Now, I'm a little confused about what we're supposed to think his his reaction to this is because we don't really see. Is he disappointed that the watch is stolen or is he kind of tickled that they uh, stole the watch for him? Like, I, I wasn't quite sure what, what we were supposed to take away. Yeah, from that scene.
0: yeah, it wasn't quite certain how he felt about it, but I I think he. Clearly doesn't mind.
1: Because he does look, take it out and look at it later, kind of smugly. So I assume he's just like, ha good one, gang.
0: Oh, yeah. And I think maybe that shows what, uh, but Flaherty is, is sitting there trying to intimidate him. And his response is like, look at what you just stole right from under your face.
1: Yeah, it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Yeah. I think Flathard like I love Flaherty's character. And I think Thomas Jackson does a great job. And you can kind of tell that as cool and collected as he acts, that he's not quite sure how to handle someone as like cunning and animalistic, but at the same time, childlike and kind of simple as Rico. Yeah. He's such yeah. a strange little mass of contradictions that it makes him very unpredictable, which means doubly dangerous.
0: Okay, so um after that scene we cut back to little Arnie, Lorch, quote unquote, uh, who owns a Palmero, is getting sick of Rico's rise of power and decides to take him, take out a hit on him. Joe, the dancer, overhears and just to, to remind everyone, he's dancing at Palmero, the dance club. Yes, um, where you go not to dance, but to watch other people dance. Apparently,
1: yeah. I feel like we also saw that in uh, Alibi too. Mm-hmm, kind of mm-hmm. weird. Uh,
0: yeah. So Joe, the dancer, overhears and can't help calling Rico's base of operations with the news to let them know, like, hey, there's a pit put out on Rico. So despite despite wanting to kind of get out of the game. Joe still has this kind of brotherly feeling towards mm-hmm. Rico. And I, you kind of get the idea that, you know, he wants to, he wants to almost protect Rico from Rico's self.
1: Yeah. Cause if he, he has the opportunity. Cause, you know, it's supplied, they were, you know, partners for a good amount of time. And you get the feeling that Joe was probably kind of the more level headed one who was used to probably like reeling Rico in when Rico got too carried away. And, right.
0: And, and without uh, Joe there, also. So to reel him in, Rico's causing all sorts of havoc. Yeah,
1: he's I mean, he's doing things that are getting him rewards in the moment, but are long term going to screw him over. And he doesn't have the capacity to think long term.
0: Right, right. Uh, So Joe calls Rico's base of operations. Uh, However, Rico is out window shopping and doesn't get the message in time. An ice cream truck drives by and shoots at him, but only grazes his arm. Which is impressive because they were shooting at him with a machine gun.
1: I know, but <laughs> you know, you get the idea because uh, a car had driven by before that, and he had like slunk into a door frame. So he is does have that animal cunning again enough to like assume that anything could be a threat. So I think he was probably kind of moving himself in the right direction. But yeah, it is kind of like movie magic there. <laughs> that is yeah. only his arm is crazed.
0: <laughs> uh. Otero tells Rico that it was Joe who revealed Lorch's plan. And so Rico ambushes the nightclub, uh, the Palmero, and orders Lorch out of town, taking over his territory. And uh, this is kind of like a trope with Rico. It's is kind of like he has an idea and then just makes it happen. Mm-hmm. Like his own will just wills this into existence. It's like, oh, you took a hit out on me? Well, now I have decided that the new reality is that I own everything that you own.
1: Yeah. I'm surprised he didn't just take out uh, uh, Lorch, but uh, I guess that was a rare moment of. uh, I think he
0: wanted to rub it in his face. I
1: think you're probably right. Yeah. I also found it kind of an oddly touching moment. When when he finds out that Joe was the one to call, like, oh, Mm -hmm. I didn't think he cared that much. It's like, again, this kind of like childlike, almost kind of candor to him.
0: Yeah, yeah. And um, that definitely influences, I think, his his thoughts later.
1: Yes. And his actions. I agree.
0: Uh, So uh, this, of course, means that uh, Rico has a whole lot more territory and he's Mm -hmm. moving up again. And he is invited to, quote unquote, big boy's mansion and is dazzled by its grandeur.
1: Yeah, we definitely see him at his most childlike here. It's kind of the funniest
0: scene. Oh, yeah. He's and just right, and just so. before it, he's uh, getting dressed up for it and he has to wear a tuxedo and he's just sitting there struggling like a little kid. Yeah, and then like, just... no, I
1: don't like it. I look like a waiter,
0: <laughs> which is funny because he kind of does. But <laughs> yeah. um, I mean, I think is also is kind of the joke is that, you know, he is putting on all this finery and he, he still kind of looks like a waiter and he's like sitting there struggling with his tie and is obviously like not comfortable. He's not comfortable with the, the upper class trappings that he lusted after so much at the beginning of the movie. And also it's a childish thing. You feel like he is, he is not ready for this, this quote unquote big boy, actually, haha, <laughs> this big boy game of Mm-mm. being like so high in the criminal enterprise. No,
1: no, no. Um, Very fish out of water. And he really comes across in the mansion. He reminds me of like a sadistic animalistic Columbo, just like totally like, gee, willikers, look at this place. And oh, just, yeah, yeah. It's it's hilarious.
0: <laughs> he is thrilled to find out that Diamond Montana, that's big boy, is. Oh, no, that's right. That's wrong. Excuse me. Diamond Montana is another guy. I, no, get, yeah, I lose track of all the, the nicknames.
1: And Plus all these kind of, you know, middle aged white dudes look like. Um and yeah, Diamond Montana was the one he read about in the paper in the beginning who first kind of inspired oh, yeah, him. And so you right, could just imagine right. how thrilled he is that the big dog he'd been like uh, envying all along is now out. and He's going to take. over. Right.
0: And he doesn't know about Diamond Montana, by the way, through through like his underworld connections. This is just in the newspaper. That's one thing that I always find funny in these 1930s gangster films that we've been watching is that apparently the press just knows about all of these gangsters and writes stories about them.
1: And I mean, that's something that I think the movie realizes. And Big Boy, you know, says in the scene where they're having that celebratory dinner that, you know, I haven't had my photo taken in 15 years. And he means that as like, listen to this. You got to stay out of the press attention because they're putting us everywhere. But Alrico says, oh, picture that. No, No picture taken in 15 years. Just over his head completely.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, so Rico is thrilled to find out that Diamond Montana is out of the game and Big Boy wants Rico to take over all the operations. Rico moves into a similar mansion, but finds that he misses Joe and wants him to be partners with him again. Joe refuses, and that sends uh, Rico into a fury. Just,
1: like, A to Z. Like, just, he's just gone. Very fast, Yeah, Very fast.
0: yeah, we're gonna team up again. Yeah, and I want you to help me run this thing. And Joe's like, "Dude, I'm a dancer now.
1: Oh, I'm gonna kill you on your girlfriend."
0: Yeah, it's like yeah, it's just like, right to that, like yeah, no transition. Yeah, like, <laughs> does he threaten to kill the girlfriend first?
1: Um, yes, I think he yeah, because they're um, because
0: he feels like, oh, that's the only reason why you don't want to do this is because it'll upset your girlfriend.
1: So yeah, let's just kill her. It's just. Dude.
0: <laughs> yeah, his his first option seems to be murder in a lot of cases. I'm
1: surprised he's lasted this long, frankly.
0: <laughs> uh, right. So Rico flies into a third into a fury and threatens to kill both Joe and Olga eventually. Um, when he goes to take a phone call, Joe boats bolts for the door and heads to Olga's telling her to leave town with him. Olga says it's no good running and calls Flatterdy instead Despite Joe's frantic opposition,
1: like yeah, she like locks herself in her bedroom to call, and he's just like, "Honey, don't do it. Come on." And it's like I see where both of them are coming
0: from. Yeah, they hear a knock at the door. Uh, when she answers it, it is not Flatterdee, but Rico and Otero. Rico, however, cannot find it in him to shoot Joe. There is a just a moment of pause. And you can tell that this is like the one time, this is the one person that Rico has ever hesitated to shoot.
1: Yeah, it's like he keeps walking towards him, and the camera gets closer onto Robinson's face, and you could just see the conflict there.
0: Uh so since he can't shoot Joe, Otero does it instead, hitting him in the shoulder. Again, movie magic, he's like a couple of yards away and misses.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Lucky for Joe.
0: Yes. Um, Rico and Otero flee out the fire escape just as Flattery arrives.
1: A cop chasing them down the alley shoots Otero before he in turn is shot by Rico. Otero says he's done for and tells Rico to go. And I do have to sit, stop here and we talk about a little bit about Otero's character because he's a pretty fascinating character throughout. Yeah,
0: he is. He
1: is just like this like perfect little sidekick for Rico just absolutely seems to worship the ground Rico walks on. Right. Like, and he's the first one to spot like, Hey, Rico was really the one with leadership material in this gang. Mm-hmm. And it's just all mm-hmm. for him. And Georgie e. stone does such a good job as him. Like he's likable for all the fact that he's like this, like little slimy. Totally imp. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so you can tell that, yeah, Rico's a little shattered that he loses his, uh, uh, now that Joe is yes, uh, yeah, yes, man, his ultimate yes, man. Uh, Meanwhile, Flaherty goes down, tracks down the rest of the gang, including uh, Rico's old boss, Sam Vittori, and arrests them.
0: Vittori, of course, arrested from behind a desk. From
1: behind a desk. And when you know, uh, the news reaches him that Otero's dead. They're after Rico. Vittori's like, well, it is curtains for us. And he does not try to resist at all. Rico, meanwhile, ends up at a shop owned by a canny old woman named Ma Magdalena whose place is a front for Rico that he plants his money in. She hides him in a room behind her staircase, but her generosity dries up pretty darn quick.
0: That's for sure.
1: And since she's the only one who knows where the money is, gives Rico $150 and tells him
0: to get out. Yeah, there's over $10,000 in this place. I'm giving
1: you $150 if you're
0: nice. It's like, whoa. (laughs)
1: And, you know, he threatens to kill her. she's like, he can't kill me. You don't know where the money is in here. And so, yeah, kind of.
0: Yeah. Someone someone pulls one over an old Rico. And
1: I love that it's uh, this grumpy old woman. I think that's perfect.
0: <laughs> I yeah, I kind of loved it, too.
1: i visit her shop.
0: Oh, yeah. Not that she needs customers anymore. No. no. <laughs> All right. Um Time passes and we find Rico next in a flop house. Big where, fall from glory. Yes. And it's something like 50 cents a night or something like that for a clean bed for, is what the sign says.
1: And that's debatable.
0: Um, while he's uh, in one of these, quote unquote, clean beds, he overhears a group of men reading a paper about Sam's hanging, including Flatterty's belittling words about Rico's cowardice. And uh, he hears this from a bed while he's drinking and this was another important thing, I think, throughout the movie, oh, he I makes a point this. of yeah. never drinking.
1: You're right. Yeah.
0: And then when he when he is here in this flop out is when you is when you first see him drinking. And I don't know. We'll have to ask your dad, who seems to know a lot about this era of gangsterdom. <laughs> but I wonder if he's based. He's obviously based on an amalgam of of different mobsters. But I wonder if that was kind of a theme of uh, temperance.
1: Interesting.
0: Amongst them. Were, were they all like fronting like they never drank or honestly never drank?
1: I mean, I think it might be something where maybe subconsciously Rico knows that he's an uncontrollable monster. So if he were to get into like booze, who knows what he'd be capable of? And as we right. see his decision making uh, from this point onward. Ain't great.
0: No, no, not much. Um, so Rico overhears them saying these belittling words from from that awful, awful Flatterdy, and enraged, Rico calls Flatterdy from a payphone outside the flop house and threatens him. Flatterdy strings him along and along and along enough to trace his location. Through the uh, phone wire.
1: And, you know, Flaherty says to the officer, like, I knew if I kept saying shit about him uh, in the papers, he'd he'd eventually uh, go go nuts and and call. It's
0: yeah. Like, yeah. He, he knows he, he called he called Rico. He knows how to play Rico like a, like like a violin.
1: He, he does. It's pretty fun. <laughs> uh,
0: Flaherty's uh, his car uh, spots Caesar walking by a billboard and uh, the billboard is now featuring an advertisement for Joe and Olga's show. Really. Revealing that Joe has recovered and that he and Olga are now wildly successful. And it's also a really good contrast um, that you see this police car driving up on Rico and Rico has gone from parading down the street, basically in these fine clothes and everything like that to being huddled and hunched over. Yeah. Kind of. Crawling along this street, not not on all fours or anything like that, but y- you know what I'm talking very about. Very
1: pitifully, with like the coat's collar turned up and everything. Just you know, like many guys, homeless guys during the depression did, probably. Right, so right. he's he's just one of them of many now. Instead of and you know, it looks the powerful cold. season. It looks very cold.
0: So the the winter of his life has has come in. And uh, the police corner Rico behind the billboard. Of course, Rico refuses to come out, and Flatterino's men proceeds to just gun down the billboard. As they approach a dying Rico, he asks, "Is this the end of Rico?" And dies.
1: I love that. You know, wait, Mother Mercy, is this the end of Rico?
0: He's surprised by his own death, despite him doing everything in his power to engineer it.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's just a sad case of someone who lacked total self awareness, lacked all inhibitions really, especially towards the end, and just not learning a thing. <laughs>
0: this is what happens when you don't have a super ego and you're just a little id-driven monster.
1: Yep. Yeah. And yeah, I think uh Robinson really just captures it perfectly.
0: Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, he does a fantastic job. Uh, and speaking of which, shall we go on to rating? Let's now?
1: rate this. Let's rate this.
0: All right. Our first category is acting.
1: I'm going to give it a 10. Like, I don't think there was a bad performance in the film. Like, you kind of expect that since uh, Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Uh, plays, you know, the kind of handsome leading man that oh, he's going to be a little boring. But I thought he was perfectly charming and good. Yeah. Fun bit of trivia, though. Clark Gable was originally going to play him. But, I could see that. But apparently this was before he was famous, and they
0: thought his ears are too
1: big. <laughs> 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 so, whoops. What?
0: Yeah. Then you just call him Clarky the ears.
1: Yeah, ears. You want to join me on my heist? See? Now I'm dancing. But, yeah, no, I thought he was good. I thought, you know, Glenda Farrell as un-Russian as she is was was quite good. Um, Georgie Stone Really, uh, like I said, captures like the perfect little kind of puppy eyed sidekick role. Oh, yeah. And I don't think there's enough to be said about Robinson. He is fantastic.
0: I'm going to follow up your 10 with a 10. I think you really can't get much better than than this cast.
1: No, everybody was so good. Like Sam is just played by this big bulldog of a guy who doesn't strike you as very smart. But it's perfect for the role, you know, he just everyone is great.
0: I would agree. I would agree. Uh, let's see. So next up, we have writing.
1: Writing, I'm actually going to take a couple points off of. And here's where my minor, minor problems lie in that. I think it would have been better to flesh out the previous lives and the relationship of Rico and Joe. Just a I guess bit. so. Yeah, because I mean, like we don't. Right off the bat, Rico is this monster and maybe he's always been this monster, but we're not really sure then what really attracted Joe to him as Mm. as a companion and partner. Um, And so it's a little hard sometimes to really see to get that tension in their relationship, because basically from the beginning, they're kind of split up. So I do think it should have spent a little more time on that. But that's really my only complaint. So I think I will give it a seven,
0: a seven. okay. I am going to differ from you um, in the upwards direction.
1: Okay, that's fair.
0: And I think what I was thinking of as their weak point, maybe for me at least, was um, was them not developing Tony so much as part of the gang. Oh, and yeah, and having that's another him be one. A character.
1: I agree because
0: and they developed him so little that I actually thought he was Joe. <laughs> yeah, for like. For like a couple of minutes again, all these white dudes <laughs> it it's they are the two actors are kind of similar and looking they all
1: dressed the same back then and, and have the was same his face
0: and crying, so yeah,
1: so it was hard. yeah, I was a little confused at first, too. and then I realized, oh, it's the driver. So yeah, I agree on that,
0: but uh aside from that, I just they they did a lot of showing and not telling, yeah, and that's true. And the dialogue and everything like that really built up these characters and these, like, little notes of, like, I haven't taken my picture in 15 years. Yeah. And just, like, little things like that that were... Just added color and fleshed out the script, and, and yeah, just a
1: little back and forth, like Rico, would, like you mentioned, dressing up in the in the monkey suit, just just a little, I like, kind of wow look at my I look like I just need a towel over my arm, I look like a I look like a waiter, just like really kind of mm-hmm. just flowed really well.
0: And so, I'm actually going to give it a nine.
1: Oh, okay.
0: And that might be overselling it, but
1: I'm glad you did, because I feel like I'm still going to leave it at a seven, but I feel like I'm probably being a little too mean. But so I think I like that. It balances it out.
0: All right. That sounds good. <laughs> OK, next up is cinematography.
1: You know, I'm going to give it a 10. I thought the cinematography was fantastic. Um really good use of lights and shadows there were some really good wide shots i think the little tracking shot follow like as uh rico got closer to joe when he's about to shoot him the camera gets closer and Mm -hmm. closer and closer to him and seeing his face uh just kind of contorting and like i don't want to do this and yeah i thought it was fantastic
0: oh yeah like the camera definitely helps tell the story Mm -hmm. it doesn't get in the way it um it's another it's another fine piece of acting from the cinematography.
1: Yes, really is another performer. Honestly, um,
0: let's see. Am I going to give it a 10, though? That's the big question, Laura. What should I do?
1: I don't know, man. I just don't know.
0: I am going to go ahead and give it a nine.
1: Yeah, because if oh, you didn't only, automatically only- think 10, you shouldn't give it a 10. That's my thought.
0: And I'm going to say nine, mainly because I want to leave room for the Citizen Canes of this world. OK, Fine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: but I 100
0: percent think... <laughs> understand the 10, too, well, because I definitely... it was a really good performance by the camera.
1: Yes, I definitely think it's movies like this that open the door for the Citizen Canes later, kind of like oh, yeah. making people realize, oh, this is the kind of stuff I can do, which is especially impressive because we're still early in the sound era. So definite kudos for that.
0: Oh, for sure. And let's see, so overall, how well do the acting, writing, and cinematography come together to make an overall product? Wow. I want to give it a 10.
1: I am going to give it a 10, too. Like, it's just, everything just really comes together really, really well.
0: Yep, absolutely. So that means that going into the bonus rounds, bonus rounds. Bonus
1: rounds! rounds.
0: <laughs> means that they are starting off already at a 75.
1: Dang, little Caesar. Which is
0: equal to East Lynn.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. if we had just seen those last 10 minutes of East Lynn, that would have, wow.
0: Made or break it. (laughs) Made or or broke broke it, it. yeah.
1: And we're still Uh, waiting. If anyone has seen that movie and uh, read the script, (laughs) let us know.
0: (laughs) Yeah, let us know how it ends. I know it's not that movie's. Uh, this is not that movie's episode, but
1: no. But you know, we're still going to take that. Uh,
0: take this one moment to, to, to pour one out for the last twelve minutes uh, of Eastland. Uh, yeah, and that also puts it just below Love Parade seventy-seven.
1: Yeah. Well, I have a feeling it's going to wipe the floor at the end of this Love Parade.
0: All right, costumes and set
1: ten, a uh, five. I've, no, give it a ten. No,
0: five. Five out of five.
1: Five out of five. All of those suits, you know, usually I neglect the suits because I'm so taken up by the gowns, but I like the. everyone looked so snappy. And, mm-hmm. and Glenda Farrell does wear some very pretty gowns, too. And I think the, yeah, like the mansion set and everything, it was almost had this kind of surreal touch to it. Like, yeah, that but it really worked. And I think it really helped kind of expand the story.
0: Yeah, the again, we were talking about how the camera was a good actor. I think the costumes and set were also Mm -hmm. good actors, and they really helped build the story and weren't just there to be there. Well put. So I'm also going to give it five points. Okay. And up next, we have boldness, which is a pretty subjective category that we have, but it's pretty much, uh, does the movie take risks that pay off? And... I want to say, yeah.
1: Yes, definitely. It
0: does. It makes, it makes you feel very complicated feelings about a gangster movie, which is difficult to do.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think a good gangster movie uh, hinges on making their characters multidimensional. So you can see why someone would like one of these people. Whereas with Rico, there is really nothing likable about him. And yet in a weird way, We still find ourselves liking him a little. And that is mostly due to Edward G. Robinson, but also just the skill of the filmmakers entirely. So guess what? I'm giving this a five.
0: You're going to give it a five?
1: I mean, they shoot a guy on church steps. That's pretty.
0: It's pretty bold.
1: That's bold.
0: Yeah, I think I think it's really nuanced and they didn't take any kind of easy routes of like and see this is what happens because he is so violent and bad it's kind of like he doesn't go out with a bang but with a whimper Mm -hmm. and it's just kind of pathetic yeah which just makes it all that stronger and that's just one thing on the list of whole things that it takes i think some risks on i agree um i guess really risky would be making a movie that uh that glorifies uh, senseless violence, but who can do that?
1: <laughs> no. Um And I think it also was a risk to put someone like Robinson in like the lead role because he's not your typical handsome leading man. And he's not like, He's just so not the movie star mold, but yet somehow you can't take your eyes off him. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's kind of like the stereotype now to go saying and the Edward G. Robinson voice. But he invented that voice. So. Yeah, because
0: that's his voice. Because that's his voice. <laughs> it's my voice. See, <laughs> It's my vocals. Um, OK, so next chance for bonus points. I think you're going to do well here. Legacy. How does this movie contribute to movies after it?
1: Well, Uh, Chief Wiggum, (laughs) his voice is inspired by Edward G. Robinson. I mean, that's got to earn it a five alone. It's got a pizza place named after it, I can only assume. (laughs) So, (laughs) Definite legacy there.
0: Oh, man, you are absolutely correct. And there's no way that subsequent... Gangster movies were not influenced by this. Mm-mm. I mean, Public Enemy, another big influence for sure. But I th- I think they can both say that they have legacy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they really kicked off a whole genre and uh, I think really inspired that genre to like get to the heights of like your godfathers and uh, and other movies like that that are just really true art. Yeah.
0: Would we have Pesci without? Uh, I do not know Robinson. If
1: I do not know if we'd have Joe Pesci without <laughs> Edward G. Robinson. Uh, he is kind of today's Edward G. Robinson. So yeah,
0: I think they might have been cloned from the same goo. I right? really
1: do think so.
0: <laughs> they have just such a similar energy about them.
1: Yeah, yeah. We watched Home Alone yesterday, so we've got all got a lot of feelings about Joe Pesci. All positive, of course.
0: <laughs> yes, of course.
1: He would have been a great '30s star. He really would have. It's kind of sad that we can't like take him back in time or can we?
0: Oh, with the magic of CGI, I keep telling you.
1: Well, that's how he was in uh, The Irishman. They CGI'd the heck out of him and Robert De Niro and Al Pacino with diminishing returns. (laughs) Oh, no. It's kind of sad, but we love Pesci. This is a pet pro Pesci podcast.
0: Pro Pesci podcast is our next podcast that we're going to be putting out. Yeah. You're going to like it. See?
1: You're going to like it. See, even we'll talk about Edward G. Robinson, but we'll be talking about Joe Pesci. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, the next category is longevity. How well does this movie stand up over time?
1: You know, I mean, spoiler alert, it's going to get another five for me. I think, you know, public enemy, I think suffers a little in comparison because like you said, with the pacing, um, whereas this does not really suffer from that. And uh, it's, feels more modern I think than a lot of movies and it's just overall just more watchable, more enjoyable. So yeah, I mean, I can see really anybody enjoying this today.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I would have to put it at a five. It, I mean, especially given its age as well is like the fact that it stood up and like kept me wanting more Mm -hmm. and that, that pace was just so well set. And it didn't feel like it dragged Mm-mm. at all. Nothing felt anachronistic. Nope. Um, despite it being like 1930s gangsters mm-hmm. from that era, even it. It felt modern.
1: Yeah, I think that's kind of inherent in a lot of gangster movies, just because gangsters are always the rebels and rebels always come off more modern and contemporary than, you know, something like Eastland. <laughs>
0: And our last chance for bonus points, technical.
1: I mean, yeah, technical. They did real good there, too.
0: Yep. A lot of cool gunshots and things like that. Yeah, Um,
1: They incorporated, I noticed, a little, like, actual soundtrack music in some scenes, mm. um, which, like, so, like, an actual score, like, not a lot, but a few scenes that I think worked well. So, I mean... I think just to be a little uh, uh, sourpuss critical, I'll just give it a four just because, you know, it didn't, you know, gun me down, but (laughs) uh, (laughs) (laughs) didn't blow me away. (laughs) But it was good. It was solid.
0: I'm going to give it a three just because I feel that not that they did a bad job with the technical effects or anything like that there just weren't that many of them to be had
1: no and i mean that's um, fine it does this movie has more than enough like it yeah it, it
0: it has enough points already
1: mm, yeah don't get greedy little caesar i mean i know that's your big character flaw but still
0: <laughs> okay so that puts it at a total of 122
1: Ooh, good job Let's see if Caesar. that that
0: might be the highest that we've had so far. Wow! Public Enemy was at one fifteen. Uh, let me check. Of course, our earliest ones didn't have technical. That's true. Um, but let's see. Um, well, Seventh Heaven was one hundred eleven, but it didn't even have a technical uh, yeah. category to so add up are- all those points. So it's pretty close pretty neck
1: and neck with those two and i'd say that yeah they're that that's deserved i mean again very different movies very different feels um but both classics i'd say what say you
0: i i would definitely say all three of those were classics Mm -hmm. and it's (laughs) it's a shame that like our our top Scorers are not two of them of the two of the three that we just discussed are not uh, nominees.
1: Yeah, I wonder what the heck the Academy was thinking. And I guess they've just always been dreadful, boring snobs.
0: I mean, I wonder if it's just that, you know, a gangster movie is not dignified enough or something like that.
1: (sighs) It's on dignity, schmignity. Give me entertainment. I mean, was Robinson even nominated because he should have been he should have won best actor, I think.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I didn't check up on that.
1: We'll yeah. S- I mean, I, I don't know. where. Um, let's see. Orange. Put in some nice... Uh, oh, nominated for one Oscar. Best writing. Well, that's when I gave one of the lowest scores to. Come on, guys. Oh, jeez. Well, that's BS. Uh, Robinson definitely should have won the Oscar.
0: Oh, yeah. I um, mean, who... Who of the official uh official ones that we've watched so far, whose acting really stands out on the same level? I Skippy's. Mean,
1: well, now that would be a movie. Like Skippy meets <laughs> Little Caesar.
0: <laughs> I ah, like the cut of your jib, kid.
1: <laughs> right? Um yeah, I agree.
0: <laughs> I like the way you crack that safe with a truck. <laughs>
1: Don't be a sissy. Come here. Oh, my God. It's so dark. (laughs) Rico, stay away from children. (laughs) But yeah, no, I'm nuts about this movie. Nuts about Edward G. Robinson. I assume we'll be seeing him later on in other Oscar nominated movies. If not, that's a dang crime. Um, And he sounds like no one ever had a really bad word to say about Edward G. Robinson. He was apparently a real sweet guy.
0: Oh, so we don't even have to cancel him.
1: We don't even have to cancel him. Although apparently he might have. Uh, talked a little during the uh, McCarthy hearings. He might, oh. he might he might have squealed a little bit like a piggy. But you know what? That was a long time ago. Forget it. It's fine.
0: It's yeah. fine. Plus, you know, he's got to eat. So. He does
1: have to eat. What would you do, audience? Huh? <laughs> so big out there with your with your righteous indignation. No, I
0: wouldn't give in to the red scare. Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. Well, good for you feather in your cap. But no, uh, Mervyn Leroy directed this, and I think he went on to direct a lot of movies in the 30s. Um, so I think this probably helped boost his career quite a bit. Um, so yeah, just all around, this was a real career starter for a lot of people. And uh, yeah, I think if we were going to give one category that this is highest and it would be legacy, I think it really just kickstarted a lot of cool stuff. We'll mm-hmm. see in the future. And that's my take on that.
0: Absolutely. But with all of that said, you know, just because it has the highest number of points doesn't mean that it's worthy.
1: Oh, that's true. We can't just guarantee a spot in the Notsker Hall of Fame. But, you know,
0: I think I will. You're going to nominate it? I'm going to nominate it for a I think I, too, will nominate it for a Notsker, a movie award, podcast movie award for movies.
1: You know, Rico, Rico loses in the end, but he can get his reputation back a little
0: bit. Yeah.
1: Not that he'll, he deserves it.
0: But. He'll be a winner in the afterlife.
1: He'll be a winner in the afterlife. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that is Little Caesar. Go watch it, dummies.
0: Pizza, pizza. <laughs> um, yeah it's it's a great movie. Everybody, um, definitely skip skip things like Trader Horn, mm-hmm. Eastland. We gave the Oscar to that, but it is missing the last twelve minutes. Um, you know. Skippy is is pretty good.
1: Yeah, I'd watch Skippy.
0: But definitely, if you can only choose one out of the ones that we've watched so far for this year, make it Little Caesar. Make
1: it Little Caesar.
0: Public Enemy is also fantastic.
1: It's also fantastic. Uh, Robinson and Cagney are cinematic heroes by gum.
0: All right, everyone. You can catch us on Twitter at Comebackastar. You can email us at Comeback podcast at gmail.com. Um, we are also technically on Facebook with a group that has members and no posts yeah. not even ones for new releases. <laughs> so no, keep you know. joining it. So we feel encouraged <laughs> Yeah,
1: or guiltier and guiltier each time. That's kind of fun.
0: And uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please, please, please share it with your friends and family who love uh, old movies. We'd love to hear from you guys. Yeah. Let us know when we're wrong. Um, Actually, we got some feedback. Uh, which one was it? I think it might do in the front. Was it the front page? Yeah, I think it was the front page. Um, Cassandra, the birthday girl, said that uh, she she felt that maybe it didn't deserve the Natsker.
1: What? She watch it? Did
0: she watch it? No, she didn't. She just listened to our episode.
1: Well, oh God, birthday girl, I'm gonna go she, hit her. She's
0: worried that we're cheapening the Knottsker.
1: Well, I mean, we definitely are. I am taking a. Uh, I'm taking some bribes, honestly. Uh, Oh. Yeah. We're
0: turning more and more like the Academy.
1: I just don't think this is a positive film for the children.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And that's why they didn't nominate Little Caesar. That
1: is. Little's in the title. It's for kids, obviously.
0: (laughs) Yeah, Little Caesar.
1: Little Caesar, yeah. Making a cheese pizza. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Uh yeah, definitely uh, share us um on Twitter or Facebook or wherever you meet up with friends and online and back alleys. And back alleys, uh hopefully wearing a mask and being suitably well distanced from each other. Right. Um stay connected via podcasts.
1: I mean, it's the deep dive time.
0: <laughs> All right, everyone. With that, we are going to turn off this projector here. Zip. And we're going to pull down the curtains and Close it out.
1: Is this the end of the podcast? Letter of mercy.
0: Good night. Good night.